0: Yeah, you know, and a lot of that came back, you know, a lot of that happened with the 1986 Act, um, where they gave liability protection to the to the vaccine manufacturers. And that really, you know, changed the economics of the industry. And the US Supreme Court has upheld that too. Now, you know, an interesting thing is when we, you know, kind of, if this thing was ever litigated fully, you know, this combination is deadly, right? You got a vaccine paid for by the government, rushed, worst upon people and then you can't sue the vaccine manufacturer if you get injured, right? When When you bring that perfect storm together, it's very unfair to people.
1: Ready to live at the higher vibrations where peace, love, joy, and good health are the daily standard? That's what this show is all about. Welcome to Vibe. And here's your host, Robin Openshaw. Hey everyone, it's Robin Openshaw. Welcome back to the Vibe Show. So when I very first moved here to to Florida, we've only been here like two and a half weeks, but within that first week, there was a freedom rally, and I was like, "Oh, good, I can just pick up where I left off from Utah." Even though I'm still heavily involved in the fight there, I was like, "Let's go see what's going on here in Florida." And our friend Del Pig- Big Tree was one of the speakers, and that really brave New York nurse Erin, who went in with a with a wire. And caught doctors saying, yeah, we're just letting people die and all kinds of crazy stuff during the New York City outbreak. She was there and she spoke, Dr. Carrie Madej, who is a very brave physician who has really spoken up on the really ugly stuff in the vaccine agenda. She was there. I'll be having her on the show really soon. But I met uh, Sean McBride, who's one of the major freedom fighter leaders here in Florida. And he is a corporate attorney and he has uh, co-founded the American Freedom Information Institute. And we'll talk about that a little bit. But so I met him there and then he uh, he and, and John and I went out to dinner last weekend. That was really fun because like he's actually, he's like our first official friend in Florida. So welcome Hi. to the show, Sean.
0: Thank you. I'm honored to be your first official friend. <laughs> that worked out nicely.
1: Yeah, so and I and then I got on the front on the phone with one of the other leaders here, and I've already told my audience in a different episode about how Rachel Cohen was dragged out of a school board meeting by the police for refusing to wear a mask, even in Florida. And I ran here because there's no mandates, because yeah. the governor has canceled all the mandates. She is she didn't seem like a well, fan at um, all of that guy, but or DeSantis. Un-
0: unfortunately, what happened? You know, with with the governor, was he ended all the penalties and fines for individuals? He didn't end the penalties and fines for businesses. So, you know, unfortunately, if he had added a couple more words to his order, it would have been a lot more effective. So, what's happening is a lot of businesses and here in this case, the school board are still doing mask mandates, right? So they're they're pushing it on their side and then now if you don't comply then they're going to do whatever they're going to do ban you from coming to the business tell you you can't shop there whatever so didn't go as far as we would have liked i guess
1: yeah and I, and he also there's no state mandates and that is a big deal it's a really big deal i mean in utah now there's a there's mandates over the entire state i mean all of our kids went back to school with um forced masks and you know just in the last 4 weeks um Businesses in almost every county are shut down to forty percent of capacity, which will kill most of the restaurants. I like guess it's just inevitable. The restaurants won't survive through the winter, and and I went down and confronted our lieutenant governor, who was just elected yesterday governor. There was no, there was no, there was no stopping that because he was the Republican candidate, and he didn't have any, nobody, nobody's really was really running against him, who could, who had a chance. But I went down and confronted him. And he just kind of whined about, oh, it'll only be for a couple of weeks. I said, Hey, what are you doing to Utah County? And and why did you run on a why did you run on a platform of you called it limited government? Like your your signs and your billboards, they all said platform of limited government and said that you're a conservative Republican and you're the guy who brought socialism to Utah. You just sent out 26 pages of hundreds of rules regulating everything that businesses do, everything that schools do, everything that individuals do, everyone's social life. That's what socialism is. I honestly don't think he would know socialism if it hit him upside the head. And he's our new governor, but so we have we have all that going on. What what what's going on here? I mean, you so your governor has, you know, for a little while he had some mandates and then I think he realized that he'd been hoaxed. What, well, how do you, yeah. how'd you get involved in this and how do you see things with DeSantis? You just said you wish he would go further.
0: Yeah, I wish he would. I mean, personally, I mean, he, he did do a shutdown for a while and then we kind of started coming out of it, you know, and then just never looked back. And then now he's made actually made some state action to reopen restaurants and bars. And of course took away the individual penalties on the, Mask mandates we talked about. So he, he's he's getting there. He just hasn't completely reopened it. I mean, he's still letting the counties and the cities uh, have a fair amount of authority, and they still have mask mandates on businesses, which then in turn turns into mask mandates on customers. And then you know, then you have the whole conflict between you know pen, no penalties on individuals, but the business says you have to wear it. Blah blah blah. Um, so I you know I, I would have liked the full open, but I think yeah, he's kind of seen the picture of. You know, a lot of the stuff that's being done isn't effective. He's been looking at the data. In fact, one of the things he did when they reopened was, you know, he reopened the hospitals to elective procedures much much earlier than other states because he said, "Look, I've looked at the data. He's like, we got a lot of open space in our hospitals, so uh, you know, if people want to come in and get a knee surgery, we're good with it." You know, Um, whereas other states were much later to do that. He actually went beyond the federal recommendations. He explained why he did it when he did it. So he's done a good job on some of that. Uh, But yeah, we still have some, still have those pesky restrictions sticking around and, you know, it's just, it's become very, it's very uncomfortable because I think you were the one that pointed out and I've seen seen the same thing, which is, you know, it's pockets. Like some counties and some cities and some areas, you've got people who are all scared and they're wearing masks and everything else and they have other pockets where nobody's, nobody's wearing a mask, so it really just depends on where you are here and it's it's it's, it's fairly inconsistent because the county, counties and the cities have so much influence on things here.
1: Well, and what do you think about that? You're a lawyer. Do you, I mean we, we we want more localized government. We want yeah. less centralized government. We want less government at the top. That was a right. a founding principle of of yeah. the republic, but 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 you know like it, it's tempting to say well I wish that Governor DeSantis would ban all these cities and counties from having mandates.
0: Right. Because we
1: don't like the mandates. But does he even have that power to tell the cities and counties they can't have mandates?
0: I think he potentially could. I mean, obviously, he stepped in. I think there's going to be some legal challenges. He stepped in saying no penalties, no fines for not wearing a mask. So he went at least that far. He also came and talked about uh, the bar and restaurant opening percentages, right, that you couldn't restrict the bars and restaurants below 50% unless you had a reason and told him. 50% Uh, fifty percent capacity. So, I mean, he he's taken some of the authority. Yeah, and I hear you. I like the idea of localized government myself. One of the real issues we have right now is just the practical side of this, which is, you know, um, you're in one county, then you're in a city. You cross a city line within a county, you cross a county line, and then everything changes, and the the exemptions are different. I mean, as far as just engaging in commerce or being out and about, it's very confusing because you, know, you drive five miles, you're in a different city or maybe in a different county, and you've got a whole different set of regulations. And that's, that's just hard to comply with. It's hard to know what to expect. You know, I've got people that carry around like pages of different exemption forms, right? They got a medical issue, they don't want to wear a mask, and they've got an exemption in this city, and then they go, go over five miles, they're in a different city, then they're out in the county, they're in an uncorporate area area, then they cross a the county line. They've got every everyone has a different written rule and they all have different exemptions and different wording. And you know, so you get it's it's very difficult if you if you travel any amount of time, if you don't stay in the same town, if you move around any bit, it's very hard in Florida right now.
1: Yeah, our governor in Utah basically just grabbed, did a big, huge power grab. And um, I guess he had just been watching all the cities and counties struggling and people standing up to it in varying degrees. And when he stepped in and said, all right, this applies to the entire state. And he's got this chart of how transmissible each county is based on some really lame data. It's just it's data about about. Infection rates or case rates, so all that is it's, it's self-created. He created it by by um, forcing a lot of testing. He's bribing people. He's paying people thirty bucks to go get tested. And now he's yeah. changed the test. He went from the PCR, uh, that nasal swab test, to now it's an oral, uh, an, let's see, an oral spit test or a swab test. And and my medical doctor friends tell me that it's now gone from the the nasal swab was the 5% positive. Now they're getting 18% positive on this antigen test, which is the oral test. So it's a completely t- different test. It tests a completely different thing, but he's able to now go out there and go, oh my gosh, our numbers are so much higher. Well, that's because you're bribing people. You're bribing healthy people to get this test that doesn't even tell you. Neither one of these tests tell you if you actually have COVID. And what's interesting is, so, so when he said, okay, I'm getting sued. And it's not that he he didn't, he didn't point that out. He's getting sued and the legislature was going to pull together as soon as they got through their being reelected, which they just did. They were planning to, you know, do a special session and vote him down. So because he was under fire from both of the other branches of government, he just threw the political hot potato in the lap of the health department officials. And he said, fine, I'm canceling my. my emergency, my state of emergency, and I'm just going to give it to the, the health department and they're declaring a public emergency. And so now you've got these unelected officials who, and you know, all these lawsuits were filed against him. Now the public, um, health people are supposed to maintain this, um, this public health emergency, which is now going for eight months and it's killed 0.0001% of Utah, even though 1% of Utah's die every year. Uh, 00001 0.001% of Utah has So it's not, it's a non-emergency in every sense of the word. But um, I ran we we met a neighbor here in our condo complex here in Florida. We met her last night and she came from Michigan. She told us that Gretchen Whitmer has done the exact same thing. So they they did a referendum and like they had 30,000 people out gathering signatures against her. That's how angry Michiganders were. They got it done. They, there's, they were like 100 and something thousand signatures more than they needed. And so what Gretchen Whitmer did, do she, instead of saying, okay, fine, the people have spoken. Nope, that's not what she did. She just told the health, health departments to declare a public health emergency. And so now the people are back in the exact same kind of bondage that they were. So it seems to be a play that's going on in a lot of different states. I don't know if Florida realizes not how lucky they are, but here's here's something. Why isn't Governor DeSantis just canceled the state of emergency period?
0: Uh, I think federal money. You know, there's uh, mm-hmm. there a lot of dollars at play. You know, so you get federal assistance on testing and whatever else. So you know, it's just a budgetary thing. You know, all the states are hurting for money. And, you know, I think they're all this. We see this a lot. You know, you get you get financial incentives to declare a state of emergency. So I don't think any of them want to cut off the federal dollars, you know.
1: Yeah, I know. I know he has said, I don't want we don't want the money for contact tracing. Have you seen any contact tracing here in Florida?
0: I have not. I've not heard of or heard of it or seen of it. So, you know, I mean, I've heard random stories of other states where people are getting text messages and questionnaires and all this stuff. But I have not personally seen it in Florida.
1: Yeah. The Atlantic did a story on me and my stand on contact tracing. And of course, they're really liberal. And so they it's really just a hatchet piece. And I knew it would be. But I also knew that they had seen a Facebook Live I did that got like hundred and something thousand views. And so I already knew they were going to do a story on me, whether I did an interview with them or not. So I did, but um, yeah, DeSantis has stood up to it. But in Park City, where we just ran from, you walk into a restaurant and they'll literally say to you, can we have your number for contact tracing, please? I mean, they must not be getting pushback because I don't think the most of the public has any idea what contact tracing is.
0: Yeah. And, and there are, I know of a uh... There's a there's a there's a whatever card card room or whatever down the street. And I I've walked past or I haven't gone in, but they have a sign out front where they want to take your ID and take your, you know, phone number and all this stuff if you go in there. So it, it it's happening in some businesses in Florida. It's not it's not pushed by the state, as far as I know. It's just uh, you know, I guess some places are choosing to do that.
1: Okay. Well, okay. So one of the other freedom fighters here was telling me about a law that's on the books, and I want to say it's 22 years old. What is this Florida law that they can forcibly vaccinate? Yeah,
0: it's 18 years old, and that, that, that goes back to your original question, how did I get in this? This is really what drove me in this. I've been concerned about freedom issues for a long time. I've, I've, I've done videos and talked about surveillance issues, a lot of these kind of undercover programs that we know the federal government's funding. Uh, but what really got me this year is we started seeing a lot around mandatory vaccines very early in the year. Um, so back around March, um, another lawyer. I was in a lawyer's group, you know, on, online, and somebody found a court order um, from the Seventh Circuit here in Florida, which picks up, you know, part of the East Coast. And the judge is like, "Yeah, we're closing the courts, but um, if we have certain things, we'll have to reopen the court." You know, had some criminal hearings, other things, blah blah blah. And he run down this list, and towards the bottom of the list, it says mandatory vaccination hearings. So several of us lawyers were like, why? You know, this is March. You know, they're not even really talking about vaccine at that point. Yet this judge has written into the court order that we'll reopen the court for mandatory vaccination hearings. What? So that got a lot of our antenna up. And it wasn't long after that, the state of Florida started using forms when people came into the state, where they would have them sign and they would say, where are you going? Who are you with? You know, where are you staying at? And you know, if they were coming from a hotspot, they would tell them to quarantine. At the bottom of this form, it said in no uncertain terms that the state of Florida has the ability to test, examine, quarantine, isolate, and vaccinate people you know, for COVID-19. Uh, so you know that was very shocking to see that the state was actually printing and ha- forcing people. People were landing in, pl- you know, what we heard most of those people would land in a plane, be on a plane from New Orleans or you'd be on a plane from New York and you'd land in Florida and they'd be like, here, before you get off the plane, you have to fill out and sign this form, and hand it in. And they were threatening people with fines or other penalties if they didn't fill it out. So that that was what shocked us. And right on the bottom of the form, it said no uncertain terms. Uh, you know, state of Florida can force vaccinate people. So that became kind of a rallying cry. We started, me and a couple of the lawyers started doing videos and, you know, teaching people about this law. And that was really one of the real founding things with the nonprofit that we started, you know, is to get awareness out there, let people know about these freedom issues and then also teach them how they can change the laws. And we've already had some discussions with people in the state legislature working on figuring out what we can do as far as getting a bill pushed through, et cetera but um it was shocking to us that this is sitting out there.
1: Yeah, I went to Utah's legislators very early in this and said, "Hey, is anybody willing to sponsor a bill and I'll help really get behind it. I'll do this is before we knew that nobody'd ever allow a live event again apparently, but um I said I'll do live events. I've done lots of live events for my followers over the years, hundreds of them. Like I'll get behind it if you'll do if you'll sponsor a bill um, banning mandatory vaccinations for adults, and yep. um, the uh, the legislators who wrote me back the my own legislator wrote me back and said yeah I'm in but she's a brand new legislator but she's all about that kind of thing, and then the guy uh, one legislator wrote me back and he goes hey I'm actually the one who sponsored the bill that gave us that that gave us broad exemptions for vaccinations. Whatever it was, six, eight, ten years ago. And he said, "I would caution you against that because he said, there's first of all, there's no reason why somebody in the next legislative session couldn't overturn that. I mean, just because they make a law that you can't have there's no mandatory vaccines doesn't mean that they won't change it in the next legislative session. Yeah. he said also, with the 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 pulse of people right now, he goes, there, this may be a bad time to wave a red flag in front of the bowl. Like people may actually be like, oh, save us. We need a vaccine. Please just bring us an experimental vaccine that's been not safety and efficacy tested. We'll do anything to avoid the deadly virus. So he made a very good point and I dropped it. And so this law you're talking about, it's 18 years old. It's been on the books that long, but people are being handed a piece of paper when they come into Florida saying you could be forced vaccinated with a COVID vaccine.
0: That's right. Yeah. And it's just, uh, yeah, it's been on the books since two, it was a, uh, the law, there was a public health law, uh, which predated it. But in 2002, it was amended to give this power, this great power to state health officer to call the emergency to determine if a quarantine or isolation is necessary, determine if quarantine and isolation is not practical, at which time they can do the forced vaccination. Yes, yeah, so it's been sitting on the books for 18 years, you know, and you know, apparently they know about it because they started printing on state forms. And that was the other thing, too, is these people, you know, they're coming into Florida. You would think you would tell them, hey, you know, when you're when you're sitting in the airport in New Orleans, you would think you'd be like, hey, when you get to Florida, you're going to fill out a form. It's going to say that we can force vaccinate you. Do you still want to go to Florida? But no, they're just like, let the people get on a plane. You know, you're, you're enjoying your flight or whatever. And, you know, as you get ready to land, it's like, hey, you got to fill out this form or we won't let you off the plane. Um, So it was a shock for a lot of people, you know, and so, um, and even the people apparently, you know, there was a lady named Reba Reba Cheryl down in South Florida that was running for Congress. And, um, you know, she, um, she got this form and she actually complained and she, you know, these National Guard people or whatever that were at the airport, you know, collecting the forms or whatever. She was like, have you read what these forms say? And like, after she read the form, they like let her go without signing it. but. even the people administering this i don't think know what they say so um, they just like told the police officers and national guard people like hang out at the airport and collect these forms or whatever um but yeah there's just a huge knowledge gap the state knows they have this power they just haven't told the citizens and and we we've done kind of some informal surveys we've had volunteers go up and talk to people and almost everybody's shocked they're like i can't believe that that's not the law you know you have to physically show it to people and even when you show it to people some people are still in denial about it like, that can't be the law. That's not right. But yeah, yeah. it's it's
1: so draconian that it that I'm I was having a hard time wrapping my brain around it too. And that's why I was interested to ask you more questions about it today. But I could I could imagine how, and I think that a lot of laws on the books are like this. I can imagine like a bunch of legislators sitting around talking about, you know, we should set up so that if like some terrible plague comes yeah. ripping through town, then we could and there's you know and it's it's the it's the smallpox and there's a vaccine. You know, here's the thing: like they aren't thinking about what if it's a an illness that there's that 399 out of 400 people survive, which we now know is the case. That's right. CDC numbers, so we and we know it's at least 399 out of 400. My guess is just based on past pandemics and how. You know four years later they'll go um amend the statistics when they are actually able to assess all the people who didn't get tested and didn't what weren't in the original um, numbers ago later and it's like orders of magnitude lower in terms of the fatality rate like that happened with h1n1 and most Americans don't know that most doctors don't know that but but so that's probably going to happen. So it's probably going to be a lot more than 399 out of 400 who survive this. But, but the people who are sitting around making this law and thought it was a good idea 18 years ago, they probably weren't like, you know, the Rockefeller Foundation who's already planning for the COVID scandemic. They probably were like, well, we want to be able to contain some horrible dreaded disease. and And but they weren't thinking about the fact that that some idiots would think that Something with the 399 out of 400 survival rate, and there's no proven vaccine for. But the thing is, we're going to have a vaccine. It's just not going to have been safety and efficacy tested. They weren't thinking of a contingency like that, don't you think?
0: That's right. I don't think they were. In fact, I remember somewhere in the legislative notes said something to the effect of, "You know, well, we don't think there's an issue because they'll probably not." you know, we won't have forced vaccines, even though the law allows a forced vaccine, you know, like the legislative notes was like, we don't think there'll be a forced vaccine. So, you know, because there is a constitutional issue, which I guess maybe, depending on whether you want to jump into it or not, we can. But basically, the U.S. Supreme Court has said, if your state legislature says you can have a forced vaccine, then you can have a forced vaccine. You know, that's a 1905 case from the U.S. Supreme Court, which shocks a lot of people as well. So, they have potentially authority from the u s. Supreme Court to have a forced vaccine, and they ran with the ball. But I remember in a, somewhere in the legislative notes it said something to the effect of, well, you know, I don't think we'll actually have a force vaccine, so you know let's uh, let's all approve this law. Um, so yeah, I think it's a situation they weren't contemplating, right? And they gave a, and whoever wrote this, I mean, they just gave a lot of authority to one person. I mean, this guy is state health officer you know, gets the call to call the health emergency. There's two emergencies in Florida. There's a state of emergency. Generally, that's the one DeSantis called. And then there's a public health emergency, which is the one that the state health officer calls. We've got two emergencies going on. But the public health emergency is all called by one guy, state health officer. He says it's a public health emergency. Then he decides if he quarantines people. Then he decides if he vaccinates people. And also, we didn't talk about this earlier, but the Florida law says you can use law enforcement to carry out the forced vaccination. Again, uh, all of the decision of a state health officer, right? So one guy, judge, jury, executioner, he decides what's done. He decides how it's done. I mean, it's all in one person. There's no checks and balances, right? Who, who's making sure this guy is acting reasonably, is considering all the data? I mean, there's no checks and balances, right? He just decides. And we basically, when the way the law is written, we go along with whatever the guy decides. We're forced to.
1: Yeah, I'm. I'm glad that you guys figured that out because, yeah, you're probably right. Like, probably nobody who is handing out the forms at the airport, nobody, nobody who is signing them, who landed in Florida. Now you're making me worried about my kids flying in in January. I don't want them to sign that. But, um, we, you know, we, we, we need to get that that law off the books. And you were telling me today about a law that's been proposed and already already been voted on, or just in committee, in uh, for the people of Washington D.C. Tell us about that one.
0: Yeah, so there's a new there's a new law proposed in Washington D.C. and we're about to we're about to do an awareness campaign under our nonprofit for this. But basically, the D.C. you know uh, council has voted the first time, and they're going to have another vote here in a couple of weeks to make this into a D.C. law. But the idea is that any child, you know, once they reach a certain age, I think it's 11 years old. Can't remember is it after 11 or when they're 11, but you know, young kids. Uh, can basically pick choose a vaccine. They can they can they make their own vaccine decision. I guess in consultation with their school nurse or whatever. And further, you don't you can't tell they don't tell the parents, and the parents don't know whether they got the vaccine or not. And you don't give health records to the parents, so you're taking the parents completely out of this mix here. So you've got young kids, preteens, uh, are apparently going to be educated by the school system, and they're going to make their own vaccine decisions without talking to the parents.
1: Yeah, that's that's terrifying. And I'm I'm glad you're getting on top of that. And, and it's really especially cool that instead of just focusing on Florida, you're seeing that issue and saying, hey, somebody's got to tackle that.
0: Well, um, we, we, you know, we started out in Florida. Our nonprofit has a lot of people in Florida, just because that's kind of where we started. And that mandatory vaccine law in Florida popped up on our radar early on. But you know they're facing a similar mandatory vaccine law in Virginia. We've we've networked with the folks in Virginia. We've shared notes with them. We've helped each other in our our efforts to kind of get some of these mandatory vaccine laws changed. And then um, we've uh, been <coughs> now this DC thing. So you know we've kind of come together as a group and uh, sharing information nationally. We feel like that's what we have to do. We can yes we have focuses in different states at different times, but. We've got to share the information across states. We've got to share strategies, and we've got to learn from each other, uh, or else we're not going to get this get this done. So we we realize we have to uh, we have to play the national game really to, to make the positive change. Plus, like if you get this, if this DC law comes into being, you can only imagine that it's going to get rolled out through other states eventually.
1: Yeah, because it's creating a precedent that others will.
0: Yeah, DC allows it, so we'll allow it here in Maryland. We'll allow it here in Virginia. We'll allow it here in Florida. Whatever DC's been doing it.
1: Did you know that in uh, Massachusetts, everybody age 30 and under is required to get the flu vaccine this year?
0: I understood it was picking up students. I did not realize it was picking up everybody 30 and under. Yep.
1: Yep. There have been big protests there, but I, and I think there are people who've flown under the radar, even in these states that have completely lost all uh, exemptions like California. I know people who, haven't gotten nailed yet, but their kids are either under school age or they're homeschooled or whatever. But technically in in California, your child cannot opt out of any vaccine for any reason, including that they almost died of their last vaccine and it's time for another booster of that same vaccine. It doesn't matter if your child was in the hospital for two months having seizures, from that same exact vaccine, you cannot opt out of it. A pediatrician's signature saying this child almost died of this exact vaccine does not get you, your child, out of it.
0: You know, and that, that's another thing, too, just, just as a tangent point on that, is is the exemption issues. There's a lot of confusion over that Um you know, usually there's multiple vaccine laws, you know, and so here in Florida, right, you've got school vaccines under one set of law. You might have employer vaccines, particularly for healthcare providers, stuff like that. And then now you've got this emergency vaccine <clears throat> under a different public health law. And a lot of people get confused, too. They think, oh, well, I got an exemption. My, my kid has a religious exemption, doesn't have to take the shots at school, so we don't have to worry about this. Public health law, and that's something a lot of people don't realize: is these exemptions don't necessarily cross over. And you know, it's kind of a new field now. When you go into this public health stuff, they don't have to recognize an exemption from the past. Uh, Jacobson, the U.S. Supreme Court case from 1905, did say there's supposed to be a medical exemption, uh, so that should be what states are recognizing. But We've looked at a lot of these laws, and they don't necessarily have a medical exemption written into them. So what are the states going to actually do? Are they going to follow what the Supreme Court said back in 1905, or are they going to do their own thing? You know, we don't know.
1: Yeah, and that Supreme Court decision in 1905, Jacobson, um, I think the guy refused to get, what, the smallpox vaccine. And people don't realize, like, he was fined.
0: Fifteen dollars yeah. or something like that. Five dollars. Uh, the problem. Five dollars. Problem was, you know, a U.S. Supreme Court case about twenty years later, Buck versus Bell. And Buck versus Bell said U.S. Supreme Court okayed state states for sterilizing people. So, yeah, people are like, well, they, you know, it's th- they, they didn't allow him to actually put something in his arm, you know, not actually require him to make the shot. Well, you got a U.S. Supreme Court case where they where the U.S. Supreme Court authorized people to get sterilized. And my understanding is about 70,000 people have been sterilized under the U.S. Supreme Court authority for Buck versus Bell. So if our U.S. Supreme Court allows uh, prisoners and inmates to get sterilized, um, then I don't know if they're going to stop people from getting vaccinated.
1: Yeah, and I would think that in 1905, there is no Supreme Court justice who could have imagined that the pharmaceutical industry, and specifically within the pharmaceutical industry, the vaccine industry would become the most powerful and most lucrative um, industry in the history of business.
0: Yeah. You know, and a lot of that came back, you know, a lot of that happened with the 1986 Act, um, where they gave liability protection to to the vaccine manufacturers. And that really, you know, changed the economics of the industry. And the U.S. Supreme Court has upheld that, too. Now, you know, an interesting thing is when we, you know, kind of if this thing was ever litigated fully, you know, this combination is deadly, right? You got a vaccine paid for by the government, rushed, forced upon people, and then you can't sue the vaccine manufacturer if you get injured, right? When you you bring that perfect storm together, it seems very unfair to people. But that's the perfect storm we're looking at right now because we have a couple different precedents from a couple different areas that could come together in a very bad way. Um, but that's that's where we are right now.
1: Yeah, I agree. And I'm, I appreciate that you're fighting for this. I mean, for me, it's personal. I got very, very sick after the flu vaccine when I was in grad school. Um, I got an internship and it was like my dream internship. It was my first choice. And then right before I started, I was told, oh, you have to get... The flu vaccine. And I already knew I didn't want it, but I was just, you know, sometimes you just push your intuition out of the way and hadn't done all the research yet. I was a new mother, but I'd only had one child and he, he would soon be injured by a vaccine himself. But yeah, I was sick. I was sick 10 times. I was sick all winter. I actually got the actual influenza for the first and only time in my life after getting the shot. And I'm not saying that the shot causes influenza, but the shot does suppress your immune system. And I was sick the entire winter. And the funny thing is, I probably don't get sick once a year on average. I probably get a cold or something mild like that every two years. And I was sick 10 times. I counted because I was just like, this is ridiculous. And it was just one thing after another. That's like all winter. And then after that, I got diagnosed with a um, an autoimmune disease, and which you know I would learn later when my son was injured by the MMR vaccine. And was in not hospitals for a year and almost died. Um, I would learn that that's actually pretty classic that people get a vaccine and they then they end up a um, with an autoimmune disease and that makes you a pharmaceutical a pharmaceutically dependent for life. I mean, you know, if you can injure someone with, and it, it, it you know, it's hard for people to believe that the pharmaceutical industry would be that cold and callous and evil, really that. They want to injure you so that you keep buying their products and you're a two million dollar customer. And I have no idea if there's somebody who actually has that as an actual goal. However, it's a fact that the more vaccines you get, the more likely you are to be using lots of drugs for all your health problems.
0: Yeah, there, there's there's starting to be studies out there. You know, the hard part about a lot of this too, you know, of course, it's just the way this thing has been structured. Uh, Since the 1986 Act, is it's hard to get good data and statistics on what's happening with vaccines because a lot of, a lot of vaccine injuries don't get recorded. Um, But yeah, there there's there have been a number of doctors starting to speak out, saying you know the cumulative you know mercury, aluminum, all these different things that are used in the vaccines, plus just the vaccines themselves. They don't test the vaccine combinations, right? They test each vaccine separately for safety. And there's some interesting things about how vaccine safety tests are done. But they 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 so each vaccine is independently tested, but they never test the combination, right? Like what about this vaccine, this vaccine, this vaccine given together, right? So there's a lot of open questions there. And you know, as as a free and, and democratic society, you think we should have that information, right? Like what's happening and what do we know? and What do we don't know? And how are these tests being done? I mean, even right now, the like COVID-19 vaccines are being, you know, reviewed by an independent panels or whatever, you know, the safety and the independent panels. We don't know who's on them, right? There's been some rumblings of who might be on them, but they they won't even tell you who the independent board is. So like how independent is the independent board if we can't verify that they're independent? Um, you know, it just really makes you question a lot of things about how all this procedure is being done. It really makes you wonder.
1: Yeah. And some of it's really mind boggling. It's like, how can there be a hundred companies vying to create the COVID-19 vaccine? So they, however many of them, any number of them could have a, a competing product. And then we have all these different vaccines that we have no idea how they do against each other. I don't, I don't understand all of that, and I haven't been able to find anybody else who does either. You don't know anything about that, do you?
0: Um, not a lot. I mean, I know what they're doing right is like so one thing I do know is, apparently, and this was a shock to me, but somebody told me this like you know most drugs when they test it, it's like you know, you, you take the drug and then you take the placebo right. So drug placebo, drug placebo. and mm-hmm. the placebo is usually you know saltwater shot or a sugar pill or something that's, that has no medical effect. It turns out, in a vaccine trial, apparently the placebo is another vaccine, which is yep. interesting in itself, right? So, no, that's
1: a- that's true. And the lie that they tell the public is, well, it's it's not ethical to give people no treatment because we must give them this life-saving treatment. And so it's like, well, how is the other vaccine a life-saving treatment? First of all, and second of all, you know, like there's plenty of people out there, and they they you know along that same argument, they refuse to do any study of unvaccinated versus vaccinated kids with a similar reasoning, which is, well, we can't we can't intentionally not vaccinate kids because this is just too important. It's just that well, kids will die if we don't vaccinate them. It's like, well, you have entire populations of people. I mean, you have like a quarter of Utah doesn't vaccinate their kids, for instance, or you could just go you know, round up some Amish kids because they don't get vaccinated, but they don't dare do that. But they, but, but they use the excuse of it's not ethical to do it. The fact of the matter is, they're terrified of that information getting out. The fact that um, unvaccinated populations have a tiny fraction of the autism and a tiny fraction of the autoimmune disease.
0: That's right. I mean, you know, so. But again, we 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 can't even really get to those statistics, right? We have people who've kind of tried to cobble things together from the government and whatever. But, you know, it, the way these statistics are being compiled and the way the data is being hidden, we, 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 we can't get the good comprehensive studies. And that, that should scare us, right? Like, where, who, who's, who's checking the scientists, right? And, you know, a lot of these procedures seem like they're, you know, not very well designed. Uh, to put checks and balances on things, who's the check on this? And you know, right now, the way the 1986 Act works, a lot of the checks are the federal government. I mean, so it's just, you know, you don't even have kind of a private, independent person who's out there motivated to uncover the truth. Right? Uh, it's it's a very scary system when you look at it from totality. It just doesn't seem to function very well.
1: Yeah, sometime you should go hear my episode with Dr. Sherry Tenpenny. Um, I think you guys tried to fly her in for the freedom rally you had two Sundays ago. Um, yeah, and she, she's one she, of our
0: potential guests, yes. We we did forever, I think we had a scheduling problem or whatever. So yeah.
1: Well, she won't she won't get on a plane is why she, you know, she she'd love to come, but she won't get on a plane. She won't wear the mask. Um, but when I interviewed her, I said, I said, you know what, Sherry, I I gave to a friend at the beginning of this whole the whole scamdemic in March. I gave her a link to the study that if you get the flu vaccine, you're 440 percent more likely to get uh, COVID-19 or any other coronavirus. And I know that since then, um, Fox News cut Dr. Oz's mic when he was saying yeah. this. And and but I said to Sherry, I said. Did you know that, so then I went back later, someone else asked me for that study. I was referencing it when I was talking to them and they're like, yeah, do you still, do you have that PubMed link? And I was like, yeah, let me find it. And so I went back to my my text thread with my girlfriend who had asked me, hey Robin, didn't you tell me that you're more likely to get a respiratory infection if you've had the flu vaccine? And so I went back to my thread with that friend because her husband is an ER doctor. And he was like, he was pressuring her to get the flu vaccine. Mm-hmm. And so I went to my text thread, scroll through, I opened that link up. They had moved it. They, it was a different study. That link now pointed to a different study that showed no difference. And so I said that to Sherry because I was so shocked by that. I mean, this is PubMed, right? That's supposed to be like the gold standard of science or whatever. And I said that to Sherry, and she said, they do that all the time. She goes, In fact, my um, database, she goes, That's pretty much my life's work, As I've built this database of 12,000 studies of that show harm and death and risk from vaccines and she said and we've we've taken to actually saving the um saving all these studies to our hard drive because they move them constantly and they disappear this information constantly
0: yeah and that that's that's a bigger piece of this right so you, know, you kind of get into this freedom movement and there's a lot of interconnected pieces, right? You try to stay focused and we're trying to stay focused on the forced vaccine law, but then the medical risk becomes a big piece of it because that's important, right? Because it's unethical to force a risk on somebody else within a forced vaccine. And then you get into these first amendment or these information issues and it's become very clear that whatever the arrangement is between the big, Tech companies and the pharma companies, you know, the pharma companies are very pro-vaccine also. And you know, a lot of this information it 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 shows up and it goes away. It's hard to verify because it's not an official site. So you get copies of copies of stuff that you start seeing, and
1: they retract them.
0: Yeah, it makes it really difficult to go through the data, right? It's it's not like a normal research project. And then of course, it gives a lot of defensibility, right? Because you know, for instance, I found. You know, some documentation about you know an insurance company that was paying incentives for people to take vaccines. Well, I can't get that document directly from the insurance company. I find somebody who had a copy of a copy, right? So, you know, is it a it looks like a real document? I mean, it looks formatted well, it looks like it has the official insignia on it and all that, but you know, I can't just go verify it like I normally can because there's so much hidden information, you know. And then somebody asks to get a copy of the COVID-19 contracts between the federal government and the manufacturers, and it's pages of redactions, right? There's nothing on the page but black lines, because apparently the contract to purchase the vaccine is so confidential that the public can't see it, right? I mean, it it, it makes you scratch your head, like, why can't we see the contract where the federal government's paying billions of dollars to buy COVID vaccines? But it's all confidential. It's hidden from us, right? We don't know what the truth is, because the truth is being hidden.
1: Wow, that, that's that's all news to me. Well, you're the President of the American Freedom Information Institute. Um, tell us about it and tell people how they can get involved. in fact, tell tell people why the why the institute and how they can get involved in the movement here in Florida that you're you're a major leader
0: in. yeah, the why the why started with you know these forced vaccine laws and this gap of knowledge, this the very stuff we're talking about. Uh, the fact that Florida state health officer has yet to respond to a bunch of information requests made by other people, right? They're not giving us records on what they're doing up there in Tallahassee, which is the Florida capital for people listening outside of Florida. Um, you know, so we got that going on. So we, we wanted to get knowledge to people. So we built this nonprofit to collect knowledge and disseminate knowledge. What are the laws? What are the implications of the laws? Uh, what information can we collect? You know, We've already made some public information requests. We've been going through public records. We want more public records. Uh, so that's the why, is to collect the information, disseminate the information, and teach people what their advocacy options are to change the laws. Uh, so we're called American Freedom Information Institute. Uh, we, the name's very intentional, American Freedom, which makes sense. And we want to collect information, right? We want to disseminate. We think knowledge is power. We want to disseminate information. Uh, so that's our mission. Uh, We have a website, amfreedomii.com. You can go check that out. You can get on our email list there. If you scroll down the page on the right hand side, lower right hand side, you'll find a form to get on our email list. We just send out regular information about here's articles that are relevant, here's stuff that's happening in freedom issues. You know, we're getting ready now soon to publish this petition on the DC law because, you know, we're in Florida, we're focused on Florida, we have a lot of people in Florida, but we're also. Playing nationally now. We're gonna, you know, we're gonna put a petition out on this DC law and get people in to know that DC is thinking about doing this. And, you know, we're gonna encourage people that signed the petition to not spend their tourism dollars in DC until this thing goes away, uh, to tell Congress to take away the power of DC to do this through the DC home rule statute, which is congressional power. Congress can take that power away. We gotta act, right? So that's our goal is to spread the knowledge and teach people what they can do to act on these things.
1: Well, thank you for being an action taker. That's been been my big um, frustration in the last eight months is how few people actually take action. And I did I did another episode here on my show where I said, "Okay, I want everybody to dig deep and ask yourself: Are you keyboard warrioring and thinking that you do a post on Facebook to your echo chamber of people who are already all, all the other people already left a long time ago?" And its all people who believe what you do. Are you leaving it at that and letting yourself feel good about what you're doing to stand up to what is horrific tyranny is going is going to cost us our children's future if we don't actually take real action, the kind of courageous action that actually moves the needle. Um, and you know I Mother Jones, which is a very liberal piece, did a or a, a media outlet they did a piece on my um, protests in Utah. And the Mother Jones um, journalist was in town and wanted to come to my house and interview me. And it's same thing as with The Atlantic. I was like, oh boy, I don't, I, I know it's going to happen here. In fact, I haven't even read it. People have told me that it came out and I haven't even read it because I, I don't have the heart to read it. I don't need to worry about what she had to say. <laughs> but she came over and she was just like, now how do you get so many people to come out to your to your protest. She goes, I live in Washington, DC, which is where I grew up. I grew up in Northern Virginia. And, and my, my dad was a defense intelligence agent in the Pentagon. And she said, you know, in Washington, DC, like everybody's masked, everything's under mandate and nobody says a word. There's no, there's no protest. There's no nothing. Everybody just, just, they're just going with it. Yeah. And that was interesting to me. Cause I was like, I was like, wait, did you just ask me? why we're so powerful and we have such big numbers in Utah because I can't believe we don't have more. I mean, there's 3.2 million Utahans and we do our, we we kill ourselves on these protests and 1500 people come, come out at most. And we see, you know, we see on the media like 1 million in Berlin and stuff like that. And I, I think it might be a function of how much deeper in the progression to, um, complete lockdowns, uh, you know, in Victoria, Australia, and in some parts of New Zealand, they now have isolation facilities where if you're, if you had a positive test result, you're in an isolation fil- uh, facility and you're not even allowed out until you just keep testing and testing till you're, till you're clear and, um, and many other issues. But basically like, I just think that, the Americans are super complacent because they think, no, that wouldn't happen here. Oh, there's no conspiracy here. Here, that doesn't happen to Americans. That just happens all over the world, or maybe they just don't even know that that these things that are happening are classic Marxist uh,
0: takedowns. Yeah. Well, and and the issue I I'm concerned about too is you know there's a lot of First Amendment issues embedded here, right? I understand that there's this supposed virus out there and that everybody needs to be separated or whatever, but at the same time. If you keep people separated, you force everybody to get all their information through the internet and through the telephone, which we discussed earlier is all being filtered. Uh, You take a ton of power away from the people. It becomes virtually impossible to organize and stand up against the government if we can't talk to each other privately and if we can't organize together and make movements. If they keep us all separated, you know we we cannot amass that power. And it's much harder to do over the internet, video, telephone calls, whatever, especially when the information is filtered back to you, right? You can't get to the information like we talked about. So there is a deep issue here with long-term freedom. Uh, and people are not focused enough on that because the precedents we're setting and the ability to keep everybody separated and keep it organized is very convenient because it comes hard to fight back against the government. And I think at some level, a lot of government officials know that and they want that.
1: Yeah, I agree. Well, I, I thank you for your um, courage and standing up to this and really giving some of your time. I mean, nobody's paying you to do this. And so I'm, I'm just feeling, I feel so grateful to anybody who's willing to fight for our freedom since it's a very surprisingly small fraction of people who actually do much. So thank you for that. Is there anything that you want to tell my audience that you wish that you had?
0: Um, just pay attention, you know, start questioning stuff and, and go layers deeper. I mean, that's how most of us that are in this freedom movement got into it is, you know, question things. Just because somebody's wearing, you know, just somebody standing behind a, a stand with a government seal on it telling you something. Ask why, you know, go back and do your own research. Um, see what the data is, you know, look at some of these studies. I mean, if you look deeper A lot of, you know, there's been a big push for masks and the mask mandates we talked about a little bit today's show. Well, then you look at the CDC guidance and, you know, a vast majority of people that are getting coronavirus wore masks almost all the time. So the two don't add up, right? And early on, we had a surgeon general telling us that wearing a mask would probably increase your infection rate, not decrease it. You know, we got to question stuff. We have to ask the hard questions. And we have to ask why, you know, so you got to look deeper and it's, it's not easy. Um, and it requires work and time and it's draining at times, but it's necessary. We're fighting for our freedom. So just go deeper on everything you're told. It includes the things you and I've said today, Robin, right? Like, dig in. Why did Sean say that? Is that really true? You can go find it. I mean, everything, I mean, I, I know most of the things you talked about, you can find sources for it, you know, search, 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 you'll find it. Same with the stuff I talked about. You can find it if you dig deep enough. It's true. But do that to everybody you hear before you just jump in and say, oh, that person said it, I believe it. Now dig through and ask and see if they told you the truth.
1: Totally agree. Okay, everyone in the show notes, I'll put the uh, website for Sean's new institute. It's amfreedomii.com. And if you are in Florida and you want to get involved in the freedom movement here, I know they're having another event here coming up in november and i was eager to it was an hour away for me but and we had just barely moved in but i was like we need to go get connected and learn what florida is doing so yep. amfreedomii.com get on their mailing list so you, that you learn about any events that they have and thank you for everything that you're doing sean mcbride
0: my pleasure thank you